Act One of Trelawney of the Wells by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Persons of the Play Theatrical Folk of the Bagnage Wells Theatre Tom Wrench, read by Thomas Peter Ferdinand Gad, read by Roger Moline James Telfer, read by Patrick Wallace Augustus Corpois, read by Alan Mapstone Rose Trelawney, read by Eva Davis Avonia Bunn, read by Leanne Yao Mrs. Telfer, Miss Violet Sylvester, read by Susan Furman. Imogen Parrot, read by Sonia. O'Dwyer, prompter at the Pantheon Theatre, read by Aidan Vox. Theatrical Folk of the Pantheon Theatre. The Gentleman, Mr. Denzel, read by Tom Shortland. The Lady, Miss Brewster, read by April, 6090. Non-theatrical folk. Vice-Chancellor Sir William Gower, Knight, read by Todd. Arthur Gower, his grandchild, read by Nima. Clara de Phoenix, his grandchild, read by Sandra. Miss Trafalgar Gower, Sir William's sister, read by phone. Captain de Phoenix, Clara's husband, read by Peter Musgrove. Mrs. Mossop, a landlady. Read by T.J. Burns. Mr. Ablett. A grocer. Read by Roman Corno. Charles. A butler. Read by Peter Musgrove. Sarah. A maid. Read by Abai. Stage directions. Read by Larry Wilson. The first act at Mr. and Mrs. Telfer's lodgings in number two, Bryden Crescent, Clerkenwell, May. The second act at Sir William Gower's in Cavendish Square, June. The third act again at Brighton Crescent, December. The fourth act on the stage of the Pantheon Theatre, a few days later. Period somewhere in the early 60s, 1860s. Note. Bagnage Wells, formerly a popular mineral spring in Islington, London, situated not far from the better-remembered Sadler's Wells. The gardens of Bagnage Wells were at one time much resorted to, but as a matter of fact, Bagnage Wells, unlike Sadler's Wells, has never possessed a playhouse. Sadler's Wells Theatre, however, always familiarly known as The Wells, still exists. It was rebuilt in 1876-77. The costumes and scenic decorations of this little play should follow, to the closest detail, the mode of the early 60s, the period in dress of crinoline and the pig-top trouser, in furniture of horsehair and mahogany, and the abominable walnut and rep. No attempt should be made to modify such fashions in illustration to render them less strange, even less grotesque, to the modern eye. On the contrary, there should be an endeavor to reproduce, perhaps to accentuate, any feature which may now seem particularly quaint and bizarre. Thus lovely youth should be shown decked uncompromisingly as it was at the time indicated, at the risk, which the author believes to be a slight one, pointing to the chastening moral, that while beauty fades assuredly in its own time, it may appear to succeeding generations not to have been beauty at all. The First Act 
the scene represents a sitting-room on the first floor of a respectable lodging-house on the right are two sash windows having venetian blinds and giving a view of houses on the other side of the street the grate of the fireplace is hidden by an ornament composed of shavings and paper roses over the fireplace is a mirror on each side there is a sideboard cupboard on the left is a door and a landing is seen outside between the windows stand a cottage piano and a piano stool above the sofa on the left stands a large black trunk the lid bulging with its contents and displaying some soiled theatrical finery on the front of the trunk in faded lettering appear the words miss violet sylvester theatre royal Drury lane under the sofa there are two or three pairs of ladies satin shoes much the worse for wear and on the sofa a white satin bodice yellow with age a heap of dog-eared playbooks and some other litter of a like character on the top of the piano there is a wig block with a man's wig upon it and in the corners of the room there stand some walking sticks and a few theatrical swords in the centre of the stage is a large circular table there's a clean cover upon it and on the top of the sideboard cupboards are knives and forks plate glass cruet stands and some gaudy flowers in vases all suggesting preparations for festivity the woodwork of the room is grained the ceiling plainly whitewashed the wallpaper is of a neutral tint and much faded the pictures are engravings in maple frames and a portrait or two in oil framed in gilt the furniture curtains and carpet are worn but everything is clean and well kept the light is that of afternoon in early summer mrs mossop a portly middle-aged jewish lady elaborately attired is laying the tablecloth ablett enters hastily divesting himself of his coat as he does so he is dressed in rusty black for waiting mrs mossop in a fluster oh here you are mr ablett good day mrs mossop mrs mossop bringing the cruet stands i declare i thought you'd forgotten me ablett hanging his coat upon a curtain knob and turning up his shirt-sleeves i'd begun to fear i should never escape from the shop mum just as i was preparing to clean myself the old universe seemed to cry aloud for potatoes relieving mrs mossop of the cruet stands and satisfying himself as to the contents of the various bottles now you take a seat mrs mossop you have but to say mr ablett life for show many and the exact number shall be laid for mrs mossop sinking into the armchair <sighs> i hope the affliction of short breath may be spared you ablett ten is the number ablett whipping up the mustard energetically short breath you may be mum but not short-sighted that gal of yours is no ordinary gal but to have set her to wait on ten persons would have been to have caught disaster bringing knives and forks glass etc and glancing around the room as he does so i am in mr and mrs telfer's setting room i believe mum mrs mossop surveying the apartment complacently and what a handsomely proportioned room it is to be sure may i ask if i am to have the honour of including my trifling fee for this job in their weekly book no ablett a separate bill please the telfers kindly give the use of their apartment to save the cost of holding the ceremony at the clown tavern 
but share and share alike over the expenses is to be the order of the day. Oi, thank you, Mum. Rubbing up the knives with a napkin. You let fall the word ceremony, Mum? Ah, Ablet, and a sad one. A farewell cold collation to Miss Trelawney. Oh, bless me. I heard a rumor. A true rumor. She's taking her leave of us, the dear. This'll be a blow to the wells, Mum. The best juvenile lady the wells has known since Mr. Phillips' management. Report as it a love affair, Mum. A love affair indeed. And a poem into the bargain, Ablet, if poet was at hand to write it. Really, Mrs. Morsop. Polishing a tumbler. Is the beer to be bottled or draught, ma'am, on this occasion? Draught for Miss Trelawney, invariably. Then draught it must be all round, out of compliment. Just fancy. Never more to hear customers speak of Trelawney of the Wells. Except in plays in memory. A non-professional gentleman they give out, Mum. Yes. Name a Glover. Gower. Grandson of the Vice-Chancellor Sir William Gower, Mr. Ablett. You don't say, Mum. No father nor mother. And lives in Cavendish Square with the old judge and a great aunt. Then Miss Trelawney quits the profession, Mum. For good nor I presume? Yes, Ablett. She's at the theatre at this moment, distributing some of her little ornaments and falals among the ballet. She played last night for the last time. The last time on any stage. Rising and going to the sideboard cupboard. And without so much as a line in the bill to announce it. What a benefit she might have taken. Oh, no one who was good for two box tickets, Mrs. Mossop. Mrs. Mossop bringing the flowers to the table and arranging them, while Ablett sets out the knives and forks. But no, no fuss, said the Gower family, no publicity. Withdraw quietly. That was the Gower family's injunctions. Withdraw quietly and have done with it. And when is the when to be, Mum? It's not yet decided, Mr. Ablett. In point of fact, before the Gower family positively say yes to the Union, Miss Trelawney is to make her home in Cavendish Square for a short term. Short term is the Gower family's own expression, in order to habituate herself to the West End. They're sending their carriage for her at two o'clock this afternoon, Mr. Ablett. Their carriage and a pair of bay horses. Well, I dare say. A West End life has superior advantages over the profession in some respects, Mrs. Mossop. When accompanied by wealth, Mr. Ablett. Here's Miss Trelawney but nineteen, and in a month or two's time, she'll be ordering about her own powdered footman and playing on her grand piano. How many actresses do that, I should like to know. Tom Rich's voice is heard. Tom outside the door. Rebecca! Rebecca, my loved one. Oh, go along with you, Mr. Wrench. Tom enters with a pair of scissors in his hand. He is a shabbily dressed, ungraceful man of about thirty, with a clean-shaven face, curly hair, and eyes full of good humor. My own especial Rebecca. Don't be a fool, Mr. Wrench. Now I've no time to waste. I know you want something. Everything adorable. 
but most desperately do i stand in need of a little skilful trimming at your fair hands mrs mossop taking the scissors from him and clipping the frayed edges of his shirt cuffs and collar first it's patching a coat and then it's binding an inverness sometimes i wish that top room of mine was empty and sometimes i wish my heart was empty cruel rebecca mrs mossop giving him a thump now i really will tell mossop of you when he comes home i've often threatened it tom to ablett whom do i see no it can't be but yes i believe i have the privilege of addressing mr ablett the eminent greengrocer of rosamond street ablett sulkily well mr wrench and what of it you possess a cart good ablett which may be hired by persons of character and responsibility by the hour or job so runs the legend i will charter it one of these sundays for a drive to epping i don't know so much about that mr wrench look to the springs good ablett for this comely lady will be my companion deuce take your impudence give me your other hand haven't you been to rehearsal this morning with the rest of em i have and have left my companion still toiling my share in the interpretation of sheridan knows immortal work did not necessitate my remaining after the first act another poor part i suppose mr wrench another and to-morrow yet another and on saturday two others all equally damnably rotten ah well well somebody must play the bad parts in this world on and off the stage there returning the scissors there's no more edge left to fray we've come to the soft he points the scissors at his breast ah don't do that you are right sweet mossop i won't perish on an empty stomach taking her aside but tell me shall i disgrace the feast eh is my appearance too scandalously seedy not it my dear miss trelawney do you think she regard me as a blot on the banquet do you becky she la don't distress yourself she'll be too excited to notice you hmm, yes now i recollect she has always been that thanks becky a knock at the front door is heard mrs mossop hurries to the window down the stage who's that opening the window and looking out it's miss parrot miss parrot's arrived jenny parrot has jenny condescended jenny where are your manners mr wrench miss imogen parrot of the olympic theatre mrs mossop at the door to ablett put your coat on ablett we are not selling cabbages she disappears and is heard speaking in the distance step up miss parrot tell miss parrot to mind that mat sarah be quick ablett be quick the elite is below more dispatch good ablett ablett to tom spitefully while struggling into his coat miss trelawney's leaving will make all the difference to the old wells the season will terminate abroad and then the company will be out mr wrench out sir tom adjusting his necktie at the mirror over the piano which will lighten the demand for the spongy turnip and the watery marrow my poor ablett ablett under his breath presumptuous he produces a pair of white cotton gloves and having put one on makes a horrifying discovery two lefts 
That's Mrs. Abler all over. During the rest of the act, he is continually in difficulties through his efforts to wear one of the gloves upon his right hand. Mrs. Mossop now re-enters with Imogen Parrot. Imogen is a pretty, light-hearted young woman of about seven and twenty, daintily dressed. Mrs. Mossop to Imogen. There. It might be only yesterday you lodged in my house. To see you gliding up those stairs. And this the very room you shared with poor Miss Brooker. Imogen advancing to Tom. Well, Wrench, and how are you? Tom bringing her a chair, demonstratively dusting the seat of it with his pocket handkerchief. Thank you. Much the same as when you used to call me Tom. Oh, but I have turned over a new leaf, you know, since I have been at the Olympic. I am sure my chairs don't require dusting, Mr. Wrench. Tom placing the chair below the table and blowing his nose with his handkerchief with a flourish. <laughs> my way of showing homage, Mossop. Miss Parrot sat on them often enough when she was an honored member of the Wells, haven't you, Miss Parrot? I'm a gin sitting with playful dignity. I suppose I must have done so. Don't remind me of it. I sit on nothing nowadays but down pillows covered with cloth of gold. Mrs. Mossop and Ablett prepare to withdraw. Mrs. Mossop at the door to Imogen. <laughs> I could fancy I'm looking at Undine again. Undine, the spirit of the waters. She's not the least changed since she appeared in Undine, is she, Mr. Ablett? Ablett joining Mrs. Mossop. No, or as Prince Camarazimin, in the pantomime. I never hope to see a pair of prettier limbs. Now then. She pushes him out, they disappear. I'm a gin after a shiver at Ablett's remark. In my present exalted station, I don't hear much of what goes on at the Wells Ranch. Are your abilities still, uh, still? Still unrecognized still confined within the almost boundless and yet repressive limits of utility general utility nodding hmm still dear me a thousand pities i positively mean it thanks what do you think you were mixed up in a funny dream i dreamt one night lately tom bowing highly complimented it was after supper which rather well i'd had some strawberries sent me from hertfordshire indigestion levels all ranks it was a nightmare i found myself on the stage of the olympic in that wig you oh gracious you used to play your very serious little parts in it the wig with the ringlets Whoa, yes I wear it tonight, for the second time this week, in a part which is very serious, and very little. Heavens! It is in existence, then? And long will be, I hope. I've only three weeks, and this one accommodates itself to so many periods. Oh, how it used to amuse the gallery boys! They still enjoy it. If you looked in this evening at half-past seven, I'm done at a quarter to eight, if you looked in at half-past seven, you would hear the same glad, rapturous murmur in the gallery when the presence of that wig is discovered. Not that they fail to laugh at my other wigs, at every article of adornment I possess, in fact. 
Good God, Jenny. I'm a Jen Winsing. Miss Parrot, if they gave up laughing at me now, I believe I, I believe I should miss it. I believe I couldn't spout my few lines now in silence. My unaccompanied voice would sound so strange to me. Besides, I often think those gallery boys are really fond of me at heart. You can't laugh as they do. Rock with laughter sometimes at what you dislike. Of course not. Of course they like you, Wrench. You cheer them, make their lives happier. And tonight, by the by, I also assume that beast of a felt hat. The grey hat with the broad brim, and the imitation wool feathers. You remember it? Yes. I see you do. Well, that hat still persists in falling off when I most wish it to stick on. It will tilt and tumble tonight, during one of Telfer's pet speeches. I feel it will. <laughs> and those yellow boots, I wear them tonight. No. Yes. <laughs> Tom with forced hilarity. Oh, ha, ha. And the spurs, the spurs that once tore your satin petticoat, you recollect. Imogen, her mirth suddenly checked. Recollect. You would see those spurs tonight, too, if you patronized us. And the red worsted tights. The worsted tights are a little thinner, a little more faded and discoloured, a little more darned. Oh, yes, thank you. I am still, as you put it, still, still, still... He walks away, going to the mantelpiece, and turning his back upon her. Imogen, after a brief pause. I'm sure I didn't intend to hurt your feelings, Wrench. Tom, turning with some violence. You! You hurt my feelings! Nobody can hurt my feelings. Ha! <laughs> I have no feelings. Ablett re-enters, carrying three chairs of odd patterns. Tom seizes the chairs and places them about the table, noisily look here mr wrench if i'm to be ampered in performing my duties more chairs ablet in my apartment the chamber nearest heaven you will find one with a loose leg we will seat mrs telfer upon that she dislikes me and she is in every sense a heavy woman ablet moving toward the door dropping his glove my opinion you are meaning to harass me mr wrench Tom, picking up the glove and throwing it to Ablett, singing, Take back thy glove, thou faithless fair. Your glove, Ablett. Thank you, sir. It is my glove. And you are no gentleman. He withdraws. True, Ablett. Not even a walking gentleman. Don't go on so, Range. What about your plays? Aren't you trying to write any plays just now? Trying? I am doing more than trying to write plays. I am writing plays. I have written plays. Well? My cupboard upstairs is choked with them. Won't anyone take a fancy? Not a sufficiently violent fancy. You know, the speeches were so short and had such ordinary words in them. In the plays you used to read to me, no big opportunity for the leading lady, Wrench. Yes. I strive to make my people talk and behave like live people, don't I? I suppose you do. To fashion heroes out of actual, dull, everyday men. 
the sort of men you see smoking cheroots in the club windows in st james street and heroines from simple maidens in muslin frocks naturally the managers won't stand that why of course not if they did the public wouldn't is it likely is it likely i wonder wonder what whether they would the public the public jenny i wonder about it sometimes so hard that that little bedroom of mine becomes a banqueting hall and this lodging-house a castle there is a loud and prolonged knocking at the front door here they are i suppose tom pulling himself together good lord have i become dishevelled why are you anxious to make an impression even down to the last wrench stop that <laughs> it's no good your being sweet on her any longer surely tom glaring at her what cats you all are you girls imogen holding up her hand oh oh dear how vulgar after the olympic ablett returns carrying three more chairs ablett arranging these chairs on the left side of the table they're all home they're all home tom places the four chairs belonging to the room at the table to imogen she looks heavenly miss trelawney does i was just taken in the air when she floated down the crescent on her lover's arm wagging his head at imogen admiringly there i don't know which of you two is the man keep your place as you please miss but you apparently forget i used to serve you with vegetables he takes up a position at the door as telfer and gad enter telfer is a thick-set elderly man with a worn clean-shaven face and iron-gray hair clubbed in the theatrical fashion of the time sonorous if somewhat husky in speech and elaborately dignified in bearing he is at the same time a little uncertain about his h's gad is a flashily dressed young man of seven-and-twenty with brown hair arranged a la byron and moustache of a deeper tone telfer advancing to imogen and kissing her paternally ah my dear child i heard you maria kind of you to visit us welcome i'll just put my hat down he places his hat on the top of the piano and proceeds to inspect the table gad coming to imogen in an elegant languishing way imogen my darling kissing her kiss ferdy well gad how goes it i mean how are you gad earnestly i'm hitting them hard this season my darling tonight sir thomas clifford they're simply waiting for my clifford but who on earth is your julia ha mrs telfer goes on for it a veritable stopgap absurd of course but we daren't keep my clifford from them any longer you'll miss rose trelawney in business pretty badly i expect gad gad with a shrug of the shoulders she was to have done rosalind for my benefit miss fitzhugh joins on monday i must pull her through it somehow i would reconsider my bill but they're waiting for my orlando waiting for it gold enters an insignificant wizen little fellow 
who is unable to forget that he is a low comedian he stands left squinting hideously at imogen and indulging in extravagant gestures of endearment while she continues her conversation with gad Coolpoise, failing to attract her attention my love my life imogen nodding to him indifferently good afternoon augustus Coolpoise, ridiculously she speaks she hears me ablett holding his glove before his mouth convulsed with laughter Oh, 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 Mr. Colpoise. Oh, really, sir? Oh, dear. Gad to Imogen darkly. Colpoise is not nearly as funny as he was last year. Everybody's saying so. We want a low comedian badly. He retires, deposits his hat on the wig block, and joins Telfer and Tom. Colpoise staggering to Imogen and throwing his arms about her neck. After all these years. Imogen pushing him away. Do be careful of my things, Colpoise. Ablett going out, blind with mirth. <laughs> he collides with Mrs. Telfer, who is entering at this moment. Mrs. Telfer is a tall, massive lady of middle age, a faded queen of tragedy. Ablett as he disappears. I'm sure I beg your pardon, Mrs. Telfer, Mum. Violent fellow. Advancing to Imogen and kissing her solemnly. How is it with you, Jenny Parrot? Thank you, Mrs. Telfer, as well as can be, and you? Mrs. Telfer waving away the inquiry. I am obliged to you for this response to my invitation. It struck me as fitting that at such a time you should return for a brief hour or two to the company of your old associates. Becoming conscious of Colpoys behind her, making grimaces at Imogen. Uh, uh... Turning to Colpoys and surprising him. Oh, yes, Augustus Colpoys, you are extremely humorous. Off. Colpoys stung. Miss Sylvester mrs telfer on the stage sir you are enough to make a cat weep madam from one artist to another well i upon my soul retreating and talking under his breath popular favourite draw more money than all the old guys mrs telfer following him what do you say sir do you mutter they explain mutually avonia bun enters an untidy tawdrily dressed young woman of about three-and-twenty with the airs of a suburban soubrette avonia embracing imogen dear old girl well avonia this is jolly seeing you again oh, my eye what a rig out she'll be up directly with a gulp she's taking a last look round at our room you've been crying vonia no i haven't breaking down if i have i can't help it rose and i have chummed together all this season and part of last and it's a hateful profession the moment you make a friend looking toward the door there isn't she a dream i dressed her she moves away as Rose Tolani and Arthur Gower enter. Rose is nineteen, 
wears washed muslin and looks divine she has much of the extravagance of gesture overemphasis in speech and freedom of manner engendered by the theatre but is graceful and charming nevertheless arthur is a handsome boyish young man all eyes for rose rose meeting imogen dear imogen imogen kissing her rose dear to think of your journeying from the west to see me make my exit from bride and crescent but you're a good sort you always were do sit down and tell me oh let me introduce mr gower mr arthur gower miss imogen parrot the miss parrot of the olympic arthur reverentially i know i've seen miss parrot as jupiter and as uh, I, I forget the name in the new comedy imogen and rose sit below the table he forgets everything but the parts i play and the pieces i play in poor child don't you arthur arthur standing by rose looking down upon her yes no well of course i do how can i help it miss parrot miss parrot won't think the worse of me for that will you miss parrot i am going to remove my bonnet imogen parrot thank you i'll keep my hat on mrs telfer take care mrs Trelfer, in turning to go encounters ablett who is entering with two jugs of beer some of the beer is spilt oh, i beg your pardon ma'am mrs Telfer, examining her skirts <gasps> ruffian she departs rose to arthur go and talk to the boys i haven't seen miss parrot for ages and backing away from them arthur comes against ablett i beg your pardon sir i beg yours ablett grasping arthur's hand excuse the freedom sir if freedom you regard it as huh you have plucked the flower sir you have stole old chase's blossom arthur trying to get away yes yes i know cherish it mr glover i will i will thank you mrs mossop's voice is heard calling hablet hablet releases arthur and goes out arthur joins colpays and tom rose to imogen the carriage will be here in half an hour i've so much to say to you imogen the brilliant hits you've made how lucky you have been my luck what about yours yes isn't this a wonderful stroke of fortune for me fate jenny that's what it is fate fate ordains that i shall be a well-to-do fashionable lady instead of a popular but toiling actress mother often used to stare in my face when i was little and whisper rosie i wonder what is to be your fate poor mother i hope she sees your arthur seems nice oh he's a dear very young of course not much more than a year older than me than i but he'll grow manly in time and have moustaches and whiskers out here he says how did you he saw me act blanche in the peddler of marseilles and fell in love do you prefer blanche to celestine oh yes you see i got leave to introduce a song where blanche is waiting for raphael on the bridge singing dramatically but in low tones ever of thee i'm fondly dreaming i know thy, thy gentle, gentle voice my spirit can cheer 
it was singing that song that sealed my destiny arthur declares at any rate the next thing was he began sending bouquets and coming to the stage door of course i never spoke to him never glanced at him poor mother brought me up in that way not to speak to anybody nor look quite right i do hope she sees and then then arthur managed to get acquainted with the telfers and mrs telfer presented him to me mrs telfer has kept an eye on me all through not that it was necessary brought up as i was but she's a kind old soul and now you're going to live with his people for a time aren't you yes on approval <laughs> you don't mean that well in a way just to reassure them as they put it the gowers have such odd ideas about theatres and actors and actresses do you think you like the arrangement it'll only be for a little while i fancy they're prepared to take to me especially miss trafalgar gower <laughs> trafalgar sir william's sister she was born trafalgar year and christened after it mrs mossop and ablett enter carrying trays on which are a pile of plates and various dishes of cold food a joint a chicken and a tongue a ham a pigeon pie etc they proceed to set out the dishes upon the table imogen cheerfully well god bless you my dear i'm afraid i couldn't give up the stage though not for all the authors ah your mother wasn't an actress no mine was and i remember her saying to me once rose if ever you have the chance get out of it the profession yes get out of it mother said if ever a good man comes along and offers to marry you and take you off the stage seize the chance get out of it your mother was never popular was she yes indeed she was most popular till she grew oldish and lost her looks oh that's what she meant then yes that's what she meant i'm a gentle shivering oh lord doesn't it make one feel depressed poor mother well i hope she sees now ladies and gentlemen everything is prepared and i do trust to your pleasure and satisfaction ladies and gentlemen i beg you to be seated there is a general movement miss trelawney will sit here on my right on my left my friend mr glower will sit next to miss trelawney who will sit beside Miss Trelawney? I will. I will. No, do let me. Gad, Colpoise, and Avonia gather round Rose and wrangle for the vacant place. Rose standing by her chair. It must be a gentleman, Vonia. Now, if you two boys quarrel. Please don't push me, Colpoise. Pon my soul, Gad. I know how to settle it. Tom Wrench. Tom coming to her. Yes. Goldboys and Gad move away, arguing. Imogen seating herself. Mr. Gad and Mr. Colpoys shall sit by me, one on each side. Goldboys sits on Imogen's right, Gad on her left. Avonia sits between Tom and Gad. Mrs. Mossop on the right of Colpoys. Amid much chatter, the viands are carved by Mrs. Mossop, Telfer, and Tom. Some plates of chicken, etc., are handed round by Ablett while others are passed about by those at the table. Gad quietly to Imogen, during a pause in the hubbub. 
Telfer takes the chair, you observe. Why he, more than myself, for instance? I'm a gentagad. The Telfers have lent their room. Their stuffy room, that's no excuse. I repeat, Telfer has thrust himself into this position. He's the oldest man present. True. And he begins to age in his acting, too. His H is scarce as pearls. Yes, that's shocking. Now at the Olympic, slip an H, and you're damned forever. And he's losing all his teeth. To act with him, it makes the house seem half empty. Ablett is now going about, pouring out the L. Occasionally he drops his glove, misses it, and recovers it. Telfer to Imogen. Miss Parrot, my dear, follow the counsel of one who has sat at many a good man's feast. Have a little lamb. Thanks, Mr. Telfer. Mrs. Telfer returns. Sitting down to the table in my absence? How is this, James? We are pressed for time, Violet, my love. Very sorry, Mrs. Telfer. Mrs. Telfer, taking her place between Arthur and Mrs. Mossop, gloomily. A strange proceeding. Rehearsal was over so late. To Telfer. You didn't get to the last act till a quarter to one, did you? Avonia taking off her hat and flinging it across the table to Colpoys. Gus, catch! Put it on the sofa, there's a dear boy. Colpoys perches the hat upon his head and behaves in a ridiculous, mincing way. Ablett is again convulsed with laughter. Some of the others are amused also, but more moderately. Take that off, Gus! Mr. Colpoys, you just take my hat off! Colpoys rises, imitating the manners of a woman, and deposits the hat on the sofa. Oh, no, Mr. Colpoys! Oh, no, don't, sir! Colpoys returns to the table. Gad, quietly to Imogen. It makes me sick to watch Colpoys in private life. He'd stand on his head in the street if he could get a ragged infant to laugh at him. Picking the leg of a fowl furiously. What I say is this. Why can't an actor in private life be simply a gentleman? Loudly and haughtily. More tongue here. Ablett hurrying to him. Yes, sir. Certainly, sir. Again discomposed by some antic on the part of Colpoys. Oh, don't, Mr. Colpoys. Going to Telfer with Gad's plate, speaking while Telfer carves a slice of tongue. I shan't easily forget this afternoon, Mr. Telfer. Exhausted. It'll be something to tell Mrs. Ablett. Ha, <laughs> ha, oh, dear, oh, dear. Ablett, averting his face from Colpoys, brings back Gad's plate. By an unfortunate chance, Ablett's glove has found its way to the plate and is handed to Gad by Ablett. Gad picking up the glove in disgust. Merciful powers, what's this? Ablett taking the glove. I beg your pardon, sir. My error, entirely. A firm rat-tat-tat at the front door is heard. There is a general exclamation. At the same moment, Sarah a diminutive servant in a crinoline, appears at the doorway. Sarah, breathlessly. The carriage has just drove up. Imogen, Gad, Colpoys, and Avonia go to the windows, 
open them and look out mrs mossop hurries away pushing sarah before her dear me dear me before a single speech has been made avonia at the window rose do look imogen at the other window come here rose rose shaking her head <laughs> i'm in no hurry i shall see it often enough turning to tom well the time has arrived laying down her knife and fork oh i'm so sorry now are you i'm glad glad that is hateful of you tom wrench arthur looking at his watch the carriage is certainly two or three minutes before its time mr telford two or three the speeches my dear sir the speeches mrs mossop returns panting the the footman a nice-looking young man with hazel eyes says the carriage and pair can wait for a little bit they must be back by three to take their lady into the park telfer rising <clears throat> resume your seats i beg ladies and gentlemen wait oh, wait we're not ready imogen gad colpoise and avonia return to their places mrs mossop also sits again ablett stands by the door telfer producing a paper from his breast pocket ladies and gentlemen i devoted some time this morning to the preparation of a list of toasts i now hold that list in my hand the first toast he pauses to assume a pair of spectacles gad to imogen he arranges the toast list he hush the first toast that figures here is naturally that of the queen laying his hand on arthur's shoulder with my young friend's chariot at the door his horses pawing restlessly and fretfully upon the stones i am prevented from enlarging from expatiating upon the merits of this toast suffice it both mrs telfer and i have had the honour of acting before her majesty upon no less than two occasions gad to imogen tish 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 an old story ladies and gentlemen i give you to colpoise the malt is with you mr colpoise colpoise handing the l to telfer here you are telfer telfer filling his glass i give you the queen coupling with that toast the name of miss violet sylvester mrs telfer formerly as you are aware of the theatre royal drury lane miss sylvester has so frequently and if i may say so so nobly impersonated the various queens of tragedy that i cannot but feel she is a fitting person to acknowledge our expression of loyalty raising his glass the queen and miss violet sylvester all rise except mrs telfer and drink the toast after drinking mrs mossop passes her tumbler to ablett the queen miss violet sylvester he drinks and returns the glass to mrs mossop the company being reseated mrs telfer rises her reception is a polite one ladies and gentlemen i have played fourteen or fifteen queens in my time 
Thirteen, my love, to be exact. I was calculating this morning. Very well, I have played thirteen of them. And as parts, they are not worth a tinker's oath. I thank you for the favor with which you have received me. She sits. The applause is heartier. During the demonstration, Sarah appears in the doorway with a kitchen chair. Ablet to Sarah. What's all this? Is the speeches on? On? And you be off. She places the chair against the open door and sits, full of determination. At intervals, Ablet vainly represents to her the impropriety of her proceeding. Telfer again rising. Ladies and gentlemen, Bumpers, I charge ye. The toast I had next intended to propose was our immortal bard Shakespeare, and I had meant myself to have offered a few remarks in response. Gad to Imogen, bitterly. Ha! But with our friends' horses champing their bits, I am compelled, nay forced, to postpone this toast to a later period of the day, and to give you now what we may justly designate the toast of the afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to lose, to part with, one of our companions, a young comrade who came amongst us many months ago, who in fact joined the company of the Wells last February twelvemonth, after a considerable experience in the provinces of this great country. Hear, hear! Hear, hear! With a sob. I detested her at first. Order! Be quiet, Vonia. Her late mother, an actress, herself made familiar with the stage from childhood, if not from infancy, Miss Rose Trelawney. For I will no longer conceal from you that it is to Miss Trelawney I refer. Loud applause! Miss Trelawney is the stuff of which great actresses are made. Hear, hear! Hear, hear! Hear, hear! Hear, hear! So much for the actress. Now for the young lady, nay, the woman, the girl. Rose is a good girl. Loud applause to which Ablett and Sarah contribute largely. Avonia rises and impulsively embraces Rose. She is recalled to her seat by a general remonstrance. A good girl. Mrs. Telfer clutching a knife. Yes, and I should like to hear anybody, man or woman. She is a good girl and will be long remembered by us as much for her private virtues as for the commanding authority of her genius. More applause, during which there is a sharp altercation between Ablett and Sarah. And now, what has happened to the expectancy and rose of the fair state? Good, Telfer, good. Gad to Imogen. Tish, tish, forced, forced. I will tell you, a man has crossed her path. Shame! Mrs. Mossop turning to him. Mr. Ablett. A man, ah, but also a gentleman. Applause! A gentleman of probity, a gentleman of honour, and a gentleman of wealth and station. That gentleman 
with the modesty of youth. Or I may tell you at once that he is not an old man, comes to us and asks us to give him this girl to wife. And friends, we have done so. A few preliminaries have, I believe, still to be concluded between Mr. Gower and his family, and then the bond will be signed, the compact entered upon, the mutual trust accepted. Riches this youthful pair will possess, but what is gold? May they be rich in each other's society, in each other's love. May they, I can wish them no greater joy, be as happy in their married life as my, my, as Miss Sylvester and I have been in ours. Raising his glass. Miss Rose Trelawney, Mr. Arthur Gower. The toast is drunk by the company, upstanding. Three cheers are called for by Colpoise and given. Those who have risen, then sit. Miss Trelawney. Rose, weeping. No, no, Mr. Telfer. Let her be for a minute, James. Mr. Gower. Arthur rises and is well received. Ladies and gentlemen, I... I, I would I were endowed with Mr. Telfer's flow of, of, of splendid eloquence, but I am no orator, no speaker, and therefore cannot tell you how highly, how deeply I appreciate the, the compliment. You deserve it, Mr. Glover. Hush! All I can say is that I regard Miss Trelawney in the light of a, a solemn charge, and I, I trust that if ever I have the pleasure of, of meeting any of you again, I shall be able to render a good, uh, uh, satisfactory, satisfactory account, account of the way, of the way in which I, in which, loud applause. Before I bring these observations to a conclusion, let me assure you that it has been a great privilege to me to meet, to have been thrown with uh, a band of artists whose talents, whose striking talents, whose talents... Tom, kindly behind his hand. Sit down. Arthur, helplessly. Whose talents not only interest and instruct the the more refined residents of this district, but whose talents... I'm again quietly to Colpoise. Get him to sit down. The fame of whose talents, I should say... Colpoise quietly to Mrs. Mossop. He's to sit down. Tell Mother Telfer. The fame of whose talents has spread to... to regions... Mrs. Mossop quietly to Mrs. Telfer. They say he's to sit down. To, to quarters of the town, to quarters... Mrs. Telfer to Arthur. Sit down. Huh? You finished long ago. Sit down. Thank you. I'm exceedingly sorry. Great heavens, how wretchedly I've done it. He sits burying his head in his hand. More applause. 
rose my child rose starts to her feet the rest rise with her and cheer again and wave handkerchiefs she goes from one to the other round the table embracing and kissing and crying over them all excitedly sarah is kissed but upon ablet is bestowed only a handshake to his evident dissatisfaction imogen runs to the piano and strikes up the air of ever of thee when rose gets back to the place she mounts her chair with the aid of tom and telfer and faces them with flashing eyes they pull the flowers out of the vases and throw them at her mr telfer mrs telfer my friends boys ladies and gentlemen no don't stop jenny go on singing her arms stretched out to them ever of thee i'm fondly dreaming thy gentle voice you remember the song i sang in the peddler of marseilles which made arthur fall in love with me well i know i shall dream of you of all of you very often as the song says don't believe wiping away her tears oh don't believe that because i shall have married a swell you and the old wells the dear old wells cheers you and the old wells will have become nothing to me no many and many a night you will see me in the house looking down at you from the circle me and my husband yes yes certainly and if you send for me i'll come behind the curtain to you and sit with you and talk of bygone times these times that end to-day and shall i tell you the moments which will be the happiest to me in my life however happy i may be with arthur why whenever i find that i am recognized by people and pointed out people in the pit of a theatre in the street no matter where and when i can fancy they're saying to each other look that was miss trelawney you remember trelawney trelawney of the wells they cried trelawney and trelawney of the wells and again trelawney wildly then there's the sound of a sharp rat-tat-tat at the front door imogen leaves the piano and looks out of the window imogen to somebody below what is it miss trelawney ma'am we can't wait rose weakly oh help me down they assist her and gather round her end of act one